0: I feel like uh, the staff here today is getting a little bit younger, right? We had Jordan do the announcements, Daniel's doing the worship and I'm speaking. And that's no uh, disrespect to Lori or Kotz, but they're at camp right now. Um, So we're excited that you're here. We are continuing our uh, series on relationships. And so we've been looking at different aspects of relationships and seeing how we can improve them. So we're looking at uh, things like sacrifice in relationships. We're looking at things like boundaries in relationships. Uh, We've taken a look at how to fight, and Pastor Stan, he gave a a message on um, how to improve our relationships at work with our co-workers. And we've been taking a Trinitarian approach to these relationships, meaning that we're looking at the Trinity, which is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and seeing how the Trinity can serve as our example of what an ideal relationship is, Okay. So today, we're going to continue and actually close out our series on relationships, speaking on marriage. Now, you're looking at me and thinking, man, what does Tim have to share about marriage? He looks like a somewhat younger guy, and I am. I've been married uh, four, in a couple weeks, it'll be five years for us. So it's been our fifth anniversary, and I think it's August, <laughs> uh, you better go. it's in August. <laughs> But it's in a couple of weeks. Um, but I wanted to—I wanted to see and take a poll. Who has been the longest married couple in here? So I want to start high. I want to start with Kelvin. So Kelvin, how many years have you been married? Yeah. <laughs> thirty-six. Oh my goodness, that's older than me. That's wow. <laughs> anybody? Can anybody beat thirty-six? No? Yeah, I have 59, that's with uh, multiple marriages. With multiple <laughs> marriages. Okay, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so Bill has 59, he beats you with multiple spouses. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you, Kelvin. Um, I'm putting you on the spot here. Okay. What do you think is the most important factor that has contributed to a healthy marriage for you? sharing <laughs> <laughs> So, love that's not stagnant, love that is action forward. And you're mentioning a piece about emotions, right? And love is an emotion, and expressing lo- emotions to uh, Sharon. Well, that's a good answer. I didn't prepare you at all. I didn't ask you (laughs) and on the spot to give an answer about love and to share from your heart, I really appreciate that. If you were to ask me what the most important part or factor um, uh, that contributes to a healthy marriage, I would say it's understanding the structure of a marriage, how a relationship or how a marriage is organized. That is, um, if we were to have partners in a relationship, who are understanding of what the organization or the structure of the marriage looks like, then they're likely to have a healthy marriage. Conversely, partners in a marriage who are unaware of what the structure or organization of a marriage look like, looks like, they're gonna have a difficulty um, or difficult time in their marriage. So as many of you know, I love basketball, right? And so I'm gonna make an analogy to basketball and tell you what, a, an, and a, describe what a good structure in basketball looks like and what a bad structure in basketball looks like. So here's a defensive structure in basketball, right? I'm gonna ask uh, Bill. Bill, I don't know if I can say this on my uh, a recorded line here, but you used to coach Lavar Ball, right? Yes. <laughs> so Lavar Ball is Lonzo Ball's father, right? And how, was he was he a good player? Uh, he was strong under the boards, but uh, he couldn't shoot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So he's a good rebounder, but besides that, not much else. Okay, Bill, can you tell me what defensive structure this is? It's not a man; it's a zone. What type of zone is it? It's a two-three zone. Excellent. Okay, so we have two at the top here, right, and we have three at the bottom. So that one—that's um, usually the point guard, usually the smartest, smallest player—and then five is usually center. He's usually the biggest player. So you'll notice that uh, outside of each player, there's a sort of um, blue circle around them, right? And that means that's, that's their uh, areas of coverage, meaning if a defender or if a person on offense, this, here's a ball on offense, if this ball comes down here, then one has to shift over, right, and guard in his area of coverage. And you'll see all the other um, positions or players shift over to the left as right as well. So here we, we continue and the ball's down here, it goes into three, the area of coverage and one and three, they have like a trap down there, right? This is a good defensive structure where everybody knows their organization, everybody knows their roles, there's good uh, communication, and typically, when there's good defense, that means that the offense does not score. Now, what's my example, then, of a bad structure? And I will turn to these guys, which are the Venice Lasers. There we go. Okay, this is my example of a bad structure. I've showed this picture before, but this is my brother right here And if you guys notice, do you guys recognize this individual right here? That's Pastor Kotz So they were teammates before and they were called the, the Venice Lasers Now many of you know my brother over there, but my brother is a wonderful storyteller And he has a favorite story and it relates to his basketball team, the Venice Lasers and it relates to one of his teammates, and it's a little bit of an embarrassing story. And so what I'll do is I'll use a pseudonym or a fake name to describe um, who this teammate is. I'll just use a general name like Kats, like Katsuya, okay? <laughs> so Kats and Jeremy are teammates on Venice Lasers, okay? And they're practicing zone, they're practicing 2-3, and they're practicing at VJCC, which is the Venice Community Center, right? I don't know if many of you know that, uh, that gym and they're getting it down in practice. Jeremy's playing the five, uh, which is under the basket. And my clicker's having a hard time, okay. Jeremy's playing the five, and Kotz is playing the three, okay? And they got their positioning right, and during practice they have a good structure. Then they travel to a different gym, okay? A different gym, I think in maybe L.A. somewhere. And a tournament starts, they throw up the ball, the whistle blows, and the other team gets it. They're offense, and Jeremy's under the basket at the five, right? playing defense and he's ready right? because he's practiced this. Kotz is over here, he's looking down at the floor and going, oh my gosh, oh my goodness, where is the red corner? And Jeremy's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I need to find the red corner. The offense looks at Kotz, They, they throw the ball to this area and they score, okay? So they sub Kotz out and they put somebody else in because Kotz got fixated on this red corner. And what happened is that Kotz didn't know that at VJCC or his practice gym, it doubles as a volleyball court, right? And so there's volleyball court lines painted on top of the basketball court lines. So it looks something like this, right? So Cutts was looking at this little red corner right here, and he came to a gym that didn't have volleyball court lines. It's just a basketball court, and it led to a bad structure, okay? Now, I want to be clear because I don't want to start any rumors. This is not Kotz. It's somebody else. <laughs> I just use his name. But a lot of times we can get fixated on a red corner in our marriage, right? A lot of times we can just say, hey, I'm going to focus in on communication. I'm going to talk to my spouse in a very um, encouraging manner. I'm going to use I statements and not you statements. I'm going to be very honest. I'm going to be direct and I'm going to be very self-disclosing. And that's healthy and that's good, but a lot of times we can lose the sight of the overall structure in our marriage when we become fixated on communication. So then how are, are, our marriage is structured? Okay? So let's, lo- let's take a look at mathematics. And marriage are structured in three different ways. Okay? So we're using three different equations to describe three different structures in marriage. We have the one plus one equals one structure. We have the one plus one equals two structure, and we have the one plus one equals three structure. These are three different ways that marriages are structured. Let's look at the first. One plus one equals one, okay? You'll notice that there is a yellow uh, sphere or circle, a green circle, an equal sign, and then you have a half yellow, half green, right? That which is um, to the left of the equal sign is pre-marriage. That which is to the right of the equal sign is post-marriage, okay? So here's a structure where one partner, partner one, gets together, with partner two, then they get married, and they form this one entity, okay? This sort of one flesh type of idea. And on the, outside, on, on the outside, everything looks healthy, right? They're happy. This couple is always together. They finish each other's sentences. And it's a little obnoxious to me, but it's okay, <laughs> right? They, they form this one flesh, right? But what happens is this is a really unhealthy structure, because you lose sh- part of your identity. You'll see that um, you're a whole being before, but then after marriage, you lose half of your yourself, your identity. And things like codependence, things like enabling, is very um, common, or manifests in this type of structure, and the individual is sacrificed for the sake of marriage. You hear things like, oh my goodness, my spouse or my partner really completes me, right? Or that my spouse or my partner really makes me feel full in life. Now, this really becomes an issue when one of the partners gets sick. So let's say, for example, partner one gets depressed, right? Now, what happens is because partner one is depressed... And because they're so bound up together, partner two inevitably gets depressed as well. Then you have two individuals who are depressed and the marriage is really suffering, That's what we call in in psychology or in therapy fusion, that they're all fused together and you can't separate the two. One of the best examples of this this is, I hope I don't offend many of you in here, but it's the um, tradition or the ceremony of the unity candle in marriages, So I don't know if many of you know what the unity candle is, but uh, here we go. This is the unity candle. And before the ceremony, right, there's two candles that are lit. One candle represents each partner. And during the ceremony, then they light this unified unity candle. And I'm okay with that, the symbolism there so far. But when they then had these lit candles and put it back, I'm saying to myself, don't blow them out. Do not blow the candles out. Because that symbolizes to me that, hey, we lose ourselves, and we're just a unified whole. But that's, that's a really unhealthy way of, of thinking about it and approaching one's structure in marriage. Okay, now we know 1 plus 1 equals 1. I'm going to move to 1 plus 1 equals 2. And this is another structure in marriage that's not healthy. And you notice that there's a yellow-green and then also yellow-green on the right, right? So nothing really changes in this, in this sense, okay? The spouse is is not really fully appreciated, and the spouse is not seen as something or someone who was worthy of changing for, and so the two partners in this instance, they don't really change post-marriage. There's no togetherness, there's no closeness, and intimacy is avoided, and there's a lot of distance and superficialities in the relationship. Now, in the example of depression, in the previous structure, let's, let's use depression now in this uh, structure. So let's say one partner gets depressed. Now here we have a problem because a p- the other partner doesn't get depressed, but because there is distance, because there's a lack of intimacy, he or she is unable to empathize with the partner's depression, and he or she is not able to sort of uplift him or her out of the depression. So this is another example of, uh, of uh, an unhealthy structure. I want to go back and uh, give you an example of the one plus one equals one where they c- become united. Um, one of my friends, he's one of my close friends, after marriage, well, before marriage, we'd have this habit of always going to the same yogurt place just to catch up and, uh, and share. But after marriage, uh, let's I was like, hey, let's continue this tradition, let's, let's get together. So we, do, we, uh, we plan it and we arrive at the yogurt land and he arrives and he arrives with his wife. And I'm like, okay, that, I, ca- I can brush this off, that's fine. He's like, hey, Tim, is okay if she um, joins us. Um, you know, we can all spend time together, we three. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Then we do it again next month, and she's there again. Now, this pisses me off, okay? <laughs> this is the one, this is a one plus one structure, right? Now, the example of one plus one equals two is if I call a friend, and he's always free, and he never checks in with his wife, and it's like, are you even married? Right? So here, here are the two opposite examples. Okay? So we have two structures so far that are unhealthy. Now let's take a pause and look at the Trinity and see what the Trinity could say about what a healthy structure marriage is. So Genesis 1.26 reads, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, I want us to pay attention to two uses of the pronoun, of the pronoun are, okay? Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, okay? So it's important because he's not using it once, but twice, and he's saying, God didn't make us in God's image, The text doesn't say my image or in my likeness. It doesn't say let us make mankind in Jesus' image. It doesn't say let us make mankind in the Trinity's image. But it's the use of the word are. And many scholars have argued that it's are because it's referring to the Trinity. It's referring to God the Son, God the uh, Father, God the Holy Spirit. So reflecting God's character then might mean that we must not only reflect the character of God, but also of of Jesus' Son and of the, the Holy Spirit as well. And I would further argue that reflecting the character of the Trinity not only means reflecting the individual characters of the three individuals in the Trinity, but it's also reflecting their relational dynamic. Does that make sense? How they relate to one another. So then how do they relate to one another? And the best way to describe their relationship is through unity and distinctiveness, okay? So there's unity in the Godhead. They're one. But they also remain three distinct individuals. So John 15, 9 speaks upon the unity by saying, Jesus gave them this answer, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever God the Father does, Jesus' son also does. There's a sense of unity, right? And then skip down seven verses later, John writes, for as a father has life in himself, so he has granted the son, Jesus, to also have life in himself. There's a distinctiveness here. And this provides us a good model of what a relationship might be, okay? Where there's a sense of dependence, but also a sense of independence. And there's a nice balance between the two. So then let's take a look at our final structure, which is our ideal healthy structure. Can you help me out here, Chris? Oh, sorry, thanks. Okay, which is one plus one equals three, okay? So here we have uh, pre-marriage, yellow, green, and now we have yellow, green, and then this third entity, entity, which is a creation of a new identity, okay? This identity, or this entity, Is separate but dependent on each partner. And the entity has its own desires, it has its own wishes, and it even has its own personality, right? And it's a little bit philosophical and abstract to understand, and so in order to make it a little bit concrete, in our marriage with, with Megan, we call this third entity, Flower, and we just check in, hey, how's Flower doing? Is Flower healthy right now is flower wilting is it blossoming Um, last flowers (laughs) she's laughing because flowers not doing too well right now because uh, last night I woke up and I was stinking hot and I turned the fan on in the room and she hates when the fan goes off in the room because she can't sleep with the noise and so she woke up and she slept on the couch out out in the living room so flower is wilting right now but we'll work on that after the marriage But really, it's sort of this abstract marriage child, right? So for us, flower is about almost five years old, okay? It's something that's separate from us and has its own sort of life. Okay, so let me give you an example of what this looks like, at least in our marriage. Um, So let's take the topic of ballet, right? Me, as myself, as my own person, let's say I'm represented as this green or this green one right here, I don't like ballet. And that's not an uh, offense to Megan and what she does, but I just personally don't like ballet. Megan over here, she loves ballet, okay? This is, this is who she is, she's a great dancer and everything. But over the years, we've also learned that Flower loves ballet, okay? So when we take Flower to the ballet, we like going to the restaurant. We have fun uh, eating before uh, the dance, or what do you call it, the ballet show? The ballerina show, What do you, you call it, okay? <laughs> And they dance, and Flower's having a good time. And we enjoy um, the intermission. We talk about the dancers and who's evoking the most emotion. And then afterwards, we usually get donuts at DK's Donuts in Santa Monica, and Flower has a good time, okay? And this is not really me sacrificing every, anything. I, as my individual, don't like ballet, but I can see that Flower, both Flower and Megan love ballet. And so this is sort of um, an approach that we've used in our marriage that is really based on a healthy structure. Marriage, many people think that marriage is sacrificial. That is, I had to sacrifice my own identity to make this work. But really, marriage is additional, okay? It's, it's an addition of a third entity. Another example is um, I grew up in L.A., in Cobra City, and I love it out here, I love West L.A. Megan grew up up north in San Mateo, and we got married, and we're thinking, what do we do? Um, We determined that it was best for all three of us, myself, Megan, and Flower, to live out in West L.A. Um, It just made the most sense for us, and things might change in the future, but probably not. But you can really tell um, how people, you can tell the structure of uh, people's marriages by seeing how they make decisions, okay? So in the one plus one equals one scenario, um, the couple goes, oh, I'll do whatever you want, okay? I'll do whatever makes you happy. The other is prioritized. In the one plus one equals two, there's, hey, I'm going to do what I want. And in the one plus one equals three, there's a balance of, hey, what's best for all three of us? Carl Whitaker. Um, okay, there we go. Carl Whitaker is a famous family therapist, and he speaks about it in this way when talking about his wife who is about to uh, pass away. He says, "As much as I would miss my wife, if she were to die, I would miss what we are together even more." And he's commenting on the the flower, right? And one of the therapists at uh, Fuller Theological Seminary, where I we went to school um, to become a therapist, he calls flower, he calls us, he calls it us or usness. He likes to refer, to use usness. So this is what Carl Whitaker is talking about. So it's not really a uh, two, uh, one plus one becomes one, right? Becomes one flesh, it's one plus one equals three. Kay. So my question to you is where do you naturally lean? I would say that 90% of us are in these first two structures right here. It's really hard to be down here. Megan and I, we strive for it, but we fail often. And naturally, just to be honest, this is me right here. I'm a very selfish individual. I'm extremely independent. And it's hard for me to get to an intimate space with others. And on top of that, with my parents, they sort of um, modeled this for me in, my marri- or in their marriage as well. They're also extremely independent um, individuals, too. Now, this is always evident in, uh, in marriages because marriage is one of the most intimate relationships that we can have in this life, right? But this structure is applicable to all of our relationships. It's applicable to our friends. It's applicable to our family, mom and dad. It's applicable to co-workers, right? And it's even applicable to our relationship with God. Some of us uh, in a relationship with a friend, we can easily say, oh my goodness, I have, to lose a, or I have to give up a part of myself in order to be friends with this person. Or some of us in a relationship to a co-worker, there's no sense of teamwork, there's no sense of togetherness. Okay? So it manifests itself most clearly in marriage, but it also manifests in all, in all of our relationships globally and even with our God. I want to uh, close us up and wrap us up in this message here, and I want to um, end in a time of prayer. And If I can ask the worship team to come up, and Daniel, if you can just play uh, guitar in the background while we play or while we pray. And I want to just lead us in a time of prayer, and a time of silence, um, where we can just identify where we currently are in our relationships. What category structure do we naturally lean out of? Kay? And then from there, maybe we can challenge ourselves and say, what's one thing w- we can do this week to maybe try to get to this one plus one equals three? Kay? So if you can all please bow your heads and pray with me.